So we come today to this final message in our Starting Points series. Okay? Later this morning, we're going to go through a, a member commitment time. This kind of the culmination. This final message addresses a question that we receive on occasion in a lot of different forms. But basically, they all come down to what do you believe about baptism? Okay? So, so set the stage. Let me just give you an analogy that I want you to process with me. Okay? Let's just say, so you have to use your imagination, most of you, that you have a wealthy relative. Okay? And that relative passes away, and they have left you, according to the attorney who's now on the phone with you, a million dollars. Okay, so after you kind of catch your breath a little bit and try to figure out who they might be related to in your family, you ask them, what do I do now? Well, the attorney says, what do you mean? Like, it's an inheritance. Like, it's a gift. There's nothing you have to do. It's not like you can earn the money. You say, well, I know that. But let me, let me ask it a different way. Like, what do I need to do to make sure it's in my account by Friday? Because that's when the next mortgage payment's due. Okay, just a practical question here. He said, okay, well, that's a different question. Like, come to my office tomorrow. You need to sign some papers, bring your driver's license for identification, and bring, like, a voided check or something that has your bank information on it. And I know you. You would say, tomorrow's not really good for me. Okay. I was planning on going fishing, and there's a, there's a football game I want to watch on TV. No, you'd say, like, what time do you open? And I will meet you there. And if you want to get there early, I'm okay with that too. Right? Now, listen, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Okay? And he offers you this free gift of eternal life. As an inheritance, you get forgiveness from sin. You get freedom from the fear of hell. Get the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You get adopted into God's family. And you get the promise of heaven with an inheritance that the Bible says will never perish or spoil or fade. It's greater than the million dollar gift. Because it's forever. And all you have to do is believe. And you say, great, I'm in. <laughs> How do I sign the papers? Okay. Well, the Bible's shown us there's a ceremony that we go through. Okay. The way you sign the papers, if you will. It's called baptism. You're not earning anything. Okay. You're not doing anything. Actually, it's something that's done to you. That's why we say we want everyone at some point in their life to have their own, by their own choice, gone through the biblical faith response of baptism. Okay? So let me lay out from, we're going to look at a lot of scripture, especially in the first probably two-thirds of our time this morning. We're just going to look at the scriptures and learn four things that the scriptures tell us about baptism. And really, they're, they're probably the four questions that we get addressed most often to us with regard to baptism and the first is just a simple question like the purpose of baptism okay it's not unusual for people to ask us the question well why do you baptize people okay well sometimes that's a question of purpose okay and i think as we read through the scriptures this morning you'll see that the purpose of baptism becomes really clear in scriptures okay but other times it's a question of says who? (laughs) 
You know, well, why do you baptize people? Like, who are you to say that I have to be baptized? Okay, like I've talked to a number of people over the years who would say something like, "I'm already a Christian. I don't need to be baptized." Okay, this is what I would say. Like, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I don't get to decide what I do and what I don't do, or what's important and what's not important. As a Christian or a follower of Jesus, he decides what's important. That's what it means that Jesus is my Lord or my boss or my master, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, and I follow his directives. So this is what the Bible says about why it's important. First of all, we've looked at this a couple times, this particular passage, but the first thing we learn from the scriptures is that Christ commands it. That's why it's important. Okay? That, that's the purpose for it. In Matthew chapter 28, remember the words? Jesus said, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything, to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So if you look at the, the construction of that in the Greek, okay, go is a command, baptize is a command, Teach is a command in that verse, or in those verses. Now Peter reminds us, when he preached that first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, that baptism brings forgiveness. We read in chapter 2, verse 38, in response to the people asking, well, what should I do? He says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now we also see in the in the Bible when we look at verses that that through baptism we imitate Jesus. If you look in Romans chapter 6 verses 3 through 5, comparing our life and that decision to come to Christ and put our faith in him and go through this ceremony of baptism it's a comparison to Jesus. Paul writes, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. I like the imagery that we read in Galatians chapter 3 that, that expresses that the purpose for baptism, it's like a covering. It says in verses 26 and 27, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves. With Christ, We know throughout other places in the New Testament that's symbolic of cl being clothed with the righteousness, covered with the righteousness of Jesus. And then we also see from Peter that baptism expresses our cleansing by Jesus. Clarifying what's happening to the person who's coming to Christ. 1 Peter 3 says, beginning in verse 21, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, 
empowers in submission to him. Okay, now can you imagine if that person who said this inheritance is available for you, like that attorney's on the phone, and you say, I don't need to sign those papers. Everybody knows who I am. Can you imagine he would come through the phone saying, don't be a fool. (laughs) Sign the papers, right? It's not that big of a deal. Well, we want to help restore the church, as we said in this series, to its New Testament doctrine and practice. Okay? So we try to place the same emphasis on something like baptism that the early church did with regard to baptism okay? and your eternal inheritance. I would say don't let your pride get in the way of your inheritance, just like that lawyer might say. Now, certainly many more verses we'll examine this morning will talk and underscore this point regarding its purpose. But the second question that we have a lot of times with re- is regard to how we baptize or the mode of baptism, which is immersion. Okay? The word baptize means to put under water. There are lots of different Greek words that could have been used, but the one used consistently is baptizo. Okay? It means to immerse or to dip under water. If you, you'll see as we look through the New Testament here that, um, that all of the baptisms that were done were done by Immersion, okay, or, um, or putting under water. Now, we have a lot of different churches that are represented, like heritage-wise, at Troy Christian Church. We're a melting pot of a lot of different groups, denominations, all kinds of backgrounds. So this becomes an interesting discussion periodically. Okay? It's interesting to note that though there are a lot of different churches or backgrounds or denominations, many of their original leaders of them, the founders of them, believed pretty strongly in this biblical process of baptism by immersion. Now, these men, in their words, don't carry any more weight than mine or than yours do, right? It's not Scripture itself, but it's interesting to note um, their thoughts on this. Martin Luther said this, He wrote, I would have those who are to be baptized to be entirely immersed as the word imparts and the mystery signifies. John Calvin wrote, the word baptized signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church. John Wesley wrote, buried with him alludes to baptizing by immersion according to the custom of the first church. We baptize by immersion because we believe that was done in the New Testament. We think that the mode of baptism or immersion is important because without it, you lose the symbolism, in part, the symbolism of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, the death to us and our sin, the burying of that sin and the rising to new life in Christ. So just take note of some of the words that we read in the New Testament. We're talking in John chapter 3 about John the Baptist and, and that he was baptizing, but notice the words it talks about um, re- surrounding it. It says, after this, beginning in verse 22, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. Now, Specifically, if we look at Matthew chapter 3, when we're looking at the baptism of Jesus, consider how it describes it. 
Beginning in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, in all of the book of Acts, we'll see this being the pattern, but specifically in Acts chapter 8, we have Philip, who's one of the earlier follow, earliest followers of Jesus, and, and he was, a, he was a, a preacher, okay, of sorts, and he would share the good news, and we're told in Acts chapter 8 that God puts him in proximity to this Ethiopian official. He's actually a treasurer, and listen to what it says about when this Ethiopian official is baptized. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. Philip's preaching to him, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And again, the passage we read earlier with regard to the imagery, Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So we understand the mode of, the bapt of baptism in that day, in the New Testament, the practice was immersion. Now, another question that we get periodically is just interesting to look at is, is the timing of baptism. Okay? For this, I, I want you to turn to, to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're just going to go through the book of Acts, kind of a history lesson, and look at six or seven different baptisms we see and look at the circumstances surrounding them. If you want to grab the Bible in front of you in the chair, it's page 1079. Okay, Acts chapter 2. What we find is in the New Testament that a person was baptized at the same time that they made their commitment to Christ. As we travel through these chapters in the book of Acts, see if you don't see that in the wording of these scriptures. We start in Acts chapter 2. Right, It's the day of Pentecost. We've looked at that once in this series already. And Paul... Paul, no, Peter, <laughs> get my right person, Peter and the apostles um, are all preaching. All the, all the Jews have come to Jerusalem for this big celebration of the day of Pentecost. And so Peter and the apostles are speaking in these languages they haven't studied and they don't know. It says they had the gift of tongues. And so they are preaching the same sermon in different languages, and the people are hearing this message. And here's how they respond. We pick it up in verse 37. It says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message, it said, were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Okay? Related to timing. Now turn ahead to book of Acts chapter 8. We looked at Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch or this Ethiopian official. We think he's probably a treasurer. He would have been already a convert to Judaism. Okay? So he was a believer in God, but, um, but Philip is explaining to him the connection between the Old Testament scriptures and Jesus. Okay? Now, beginning in verse 34 of Acts chapter 8, it says, The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Okay? Turn over one, just one page, probably maybe even not in your Bible, to chapter 9. Here we have the um, probably the most famous or significant of all the conversions we see in the book of Acts, and that is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the Apostle Paul. Okay? Um, he, he was on this road from Jerusalem to Damascus with the purpose of finding Christians and either persecuting them, imprisoning them, or killing them. And Jesus intersects him along the way and said, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> well, it wasn't exactly like that. Okay? <laughs> he said, why are you persecuting me? And they had this confrontation. Remember that Saul, or that, yeah, that Saul was, was blinded. And for three days, he was told to go and wait. And after three days, God sends Ananias to speak to Paul, and we pick it up in verse 17 of Acts chapter 9. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So you have the confrontation, you have the blinding, you have three days of no eating, and you would think like when he got his sight back, he might want to get some nourishment. But first he was baptized, and then he got some nourishment. That might be a little different order than some of us might take. All right? Turn over to Acts chapter 10. Okay? We're just following these lines of people that are giving their life to Jesus and what happens. In Acts chapter 10, we have Cornelius. And what is significant is Cornelius and the people with him, they're the first Gentiles, the first non-Jews, <coughs> excuse me, that are converted to Jesus. And uh, Peter's been called to, to speak to them, which was already such a challenge. He's like, those aren't my people, right? But they were his people. He just didn't know it because they were God's people, because God's people are all people. And so here in chapter 10, they're amazed because God is going to do something and it's going to be outside of the realm of the Jewish people. Look at verse 44. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter were astonished. 
that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For he heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Turn ahead to Luke chapter, I'm sorry, to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we're going to see Paul doing what he usually does, does on the Sabbath. He goes out and he finds some followers of God who are of the Jewish faith, and he begins to preach. In this case, um, uh, we read about Lydia. On the Sabbath, it says, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Okay? The message, the baptism. And later in Acts chapter 16, we have Paul and Silas doing what Paul and Silas do. They get in trouble. They preach the gospel. It irritates the Jews because they feel like you're trying to steal our people. And they're like, well, they're God's people, not your people. But that's beside the point, right? And they respond, and it gets people in all of a, a bit of a tuss. And, and so they get arrested. And so they're in the jail in Philippi. And God miraculously busts open all the doors to the jail. The jailer assumes everybody's going to leave and flee. And he knows because the Romans, the punishment for a jailer losing an inmate was that he would be killed. So instead of letting the Romans do it, we know how they torture and kill people, he decides he's going to take his own life. And Paul pleads with him, don't take your life. We're all still here. And we pick it up in verse 12 where it says, I'm sorry, in verse 29 where it says, The jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He just witnessed this miracle and these people just staying there. It says, He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, then immediately he and his household, all of them, were baptized. Okay? One more in Acts chapter 22. Now in Acts chapter 22, we basically have Paul's recollection of what happened in Acts chapter 9. Okay? In Acts chapter 9, Luke's writing a narrative of what happened. In Acts chapter 22, Paul's giving a personal testimony of what happened. Recalling his own story, he says, beginning in verse 12 of Acts 22, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Okay? So when we 
look through these conversions of the book of Acts, people that, that join their life with Christ, we see that each of them um, joined him through faith. Each of them responded with baptism. Each of their baptisms happened in a very close proximity to that whole decision that they made. Okay? Now maybe the hardest question that sometimes we're asked around here um, relates to the, the who of baptism. Okay? The who. Uh, we've looked at a lot of scripture, okay? and scripture has a whole lot to say about this ceremony that's been given to us, as you can tell. Okay? And as, we've, um, as we watch these celebrations, okay? we watch these people changing their lives, we notice that each of them, um, each of them had, had faith in Jesus. Okay? They knew they were, they were repenting. Or they were changing their lives. They were confessing their sins. They knew they needed the forgiveness of God. And so this is how they responded. So that's why at Troy Christian here, we wait until a person is old enough to respond. Okay? In these ways. Understanding the true meaning of baptism before we baptize them. Now that would be different than maybe many of your backgrounds. And even mine. Even though I was not raised in the church... Okay. As an infant, I was baptized. Okay? And I put that in quotes because it wasn't immersion, but it was a, a baptism given by church. And the reason for that, and for maybe some of the reasons that some of you might have been baptized as an infant, is because there are many people who believe that that baby, when they come into the world, carries the guilt for Adam's sin. And that baptism serves the purpose of removing the guilt from Adam's sin from the child. Now, when we read through these scriptures, one thing that you haven't seen in all these scriptures of baptism is an infant being baptized. Okay? Um, we believe, when we read through the whole of scripture, what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? But we would understand that to mean our own sin, okay? not someone else's sin. When you read through the scriptures, you don't, we all have probably likely paid the price for someone else's wrong decision or sin in our lives, right? Okay? But as an infant, is it possible that that infant has sinned? We don't think so because they don't have that choice to be able to sin. They're not developed enough at that point. What we don't believe is that somehow that infant carries the penalty for someone else's sin but their own. So that's why we don't baptize infants here at Troy Christian Church. Now, for some of you, you were, you were baptized in a different way. It was more like a practice of confirmation as a child or as an infant. Okay, the ceremony is intended to be this covenant between a parent and God on behalf of the child. So as parents, maybe your parents promised to raise you in the faith until you are old enough to make your own decision or your own profession of faith and confession of Christ. I would just tell you that particular ceremony or, or practice, tradition, began about 300 years after the New Testament was completed. Okay? It's different than the baptism that we've looked at in all these scriptures previously because the one that we looked at, the scriptures we've looked at are only, we just see people who are old enough to confess their faith in Christ 
themselves that personal commitment to Christ. So when I was 15, not growing up in the church, but been in the church a few months, in a camp swimming pool, I confessed Christ as my Lord, and I was baptized. Okay? Now when I went home, my mom was there, and she'd been coming to that church as well, but when I went home, my parents were divorced, the next time I was visiting my dad, he said, well, what'd you do that for? You're already baptized. You know? To which I um, I, I want to think I did it politely. Maybe I did. I don't know. Back then, there was a little contention. I was a 15-year-old after all. You know, I just remember saying to my dad, funny, I don't remember making that decision to be baptized, okay? which was my nature, sarcastic, right, at the time, but was true. I knew that that baptism that was done for me at however many days or weeks old, that wasn't my choice. But at age 15, I chose Jesus. And when I chose Jesus, I also chose to be baptized. So in our church here, in order to be a member, it's required that one be baptized by immersion the way the Bible teaches and Christ demonstrates, even though perhaps many of us might have been confirmed as infants or as children. Now, just kind of back away and, and make some observations. Okay? Uh, sometimes we have people that will ask us, and it's appropriate today because we're going to look at membership here in a little bit, right? It's appropriate they will ask, do I have to get baptized to be a member of Troy Christian Church? Okay? Well, I think about that as a trick question. Okay? I mean, it's not meant as a trick question, but I, like, like I don't want you to be baptized to be a member of Troy Christian Church. Right? That's not an appropriate motivation to go through this ceremony that Jesus gives us. We don't want anyone to get baptized just to be a member of the church. That would trivialize that ceremony we've been given by Jesus. So don't just get baptized to become a member. We want you to be baptized because you're obeying the command of Jesus. We want you to join your life with him eternally. Okay? That said, we think it's so important biblically and clear that membership is only available here to those who've been baptized by immersion into Christ. Now, sometimes I, people, I hear people say, I'm just not ready. Okay? Now, sometimes, because I either know them or we talk further, I'm just not ready means I'm scared to death of water. <laughs> okay? Sometimes it means, like, I'm scared to death of those 150 people that are sitting out in those seats there. Right? So far in our 68-year history, I would tell you that all the people that we have taken under have come back up. Okay? <laughs> a few we wanted to hold down a little bit longer just to make sure. Um, sometimes people would want to pay us to hold them down a little bit longer <laughs> just to make sure. <laughs> okay? And again, that's a real fear, so I would not trivialize that. I would just say that the issue is not what Jesus asked us to do. Sometimes the issue is my fear. Now, sometimes people tell me that they're not ready. And what they mean by that um, is I need to clean up my life first. Okay? Um, if that's you, okay, perhaps you don't understand God's grace. And again, I don't mean that demeaning, but I mean, like, if you're going to have to clean up your life first, you are never going to be ready. Okay? Because here's how it works. I come to Jesus and he cleans me up. <laughs> I can't get cleaned up first. That's not how it works. We're told to repent 
You have to be willing to change, want to change. Without that desire, a person isn't ready for baptism. But repentance isn't going to clean up your life. Repentance is a surrendering of your heart. And baptism is the logical and biblical follow-up to that. That cleansing moment where Scripture says our sins are washed away. Now, let me be clear, because I don't know that it's always been that clear before. Like, baptism has no saving value in itself. Okay? Baptism has never saved anyone, and it can't save you. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, First, by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay? Baptism we just see as that final initial response to Jesus that seals our salvation and completes our salvation. It, like repentance and confession, is not a work that you do to earn or deserve forgiveness. It's simply a response of faith. Jesus says, this is what you do, and so this is what I do as a follower of his. So after all of those pieces, after all of those scriptures, and after all those questions I get sometimes, sometimes I would just want to ask a question in return that says, like, like why wouldn't you want to be baptized? I mean, it's commanded in Scripture. It's pretty clear, the command and the purpose. Okay? It, the pattern is seen in Scripture, that it's immersion, the timing is seen, that it's in conjunction with a person's faith, and yet I know people who have placed their faith in God for a long time, never understood what God said to them about being baptized, and I would say, you know, that would have been great if that could have happened 10 years ago, okay, but today's a pretty good day, (laughs) once I understand the commands of God to just obey the commands of God, and we understand the who. Like if you're old enough to place your faith in Jesus, then you're old enough to obey him and to be baptized. So we knew for some of you this might be new teaching and maybe for some of you it's just a reaffirmation of what you've known but maybe never responded to. And so we've got in back a bunch of shirts and a bunch of shorts and a bunch of towels that if God moves for you, we would love for today to be the day that you would be baptized, that you would give your life to him, that you would surrender to him and to his desire for your life. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to pray, okay? And then we're going to sing here in just a moment. And I would encourage you, if, if this is the day, if you're ready for this to be the day, that you just come and talk to us in back, and we would love to baptize you today as God commands, as in the pattern we see in the New Testament. I am not a hard sell. You should know that. Most of you know that by now already. Right? I believe the weight of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit is what ought to drive our decisions and ought to drive our actions. And so we've looked at the Scriptures, and I believe the Spirit is active. And so if God's calling you today to do this, then boldly stand up and meet me back there, and I'd love to talk to you about it. Okay, let's pray together. Uh, Father God, your word uh, speaks so much to us and your word helps us understand your plan for us and Lord I pray you would give us ears to hear and you would give us hearts to respond Lord and you would just give us um, courage to follow your path 
We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the opportunity for eternal life. And we thank you for it all in the name of our our Savior, Jesus, who sacrificed his life so it might be possible. His name we pray. Amen.